0: Well, good morning, Sunrise. I am so grateful to have this opportunity to share uh, a little bit from my heart and uh, mostly from God's heart. And so I just want to offer up a prayer to get us started. As I know that sometimes each of us come to uh, church with so many things on our heart um, And uh, this just being something that, yeah, maybe we're getting a little used to it, but I have to fully admit my own weakness here and say, I definitely am not used to preaching in this way. And so I need a lot of Jesus and uh, most of us need a lot more of him. So will you join me in prayer real fast as we ask God to bless this message? God, we thank you so much just for this time. The fact that uh, you are not um, bound by a building. You are not uh, confined by the internet. You are not... Uh, Nothing will limit you, and God, we thank you for the fact that your good work is still doing so much, God, here in the Central Valley and just throughout the world right now as uh, church is just happening in such a massively different way all over the world and we just thank you so much that uh, you still do good work and so God I pray right now that you would just bless this time help us and uh, all the different churches throughout the valley right now uh, with the living rooms and all that help us to just be able to connect with you to to listen to you help uh uh, quiet that inner monologue, the distractions that kind of pop up a little easier in our living room than at church. And uh, God, I just ask for your, uh, your ability to share your message, uh, and thank you that it's all about you and not about myself. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. So I want to imagine it. Uh, with me for a moment. These two superpowers that are kind of going toe-to-toe. On the one side, you have Pharaoh. And uh, he has just had so much power throughout this time. The Israelites just have known him as almost a god in a way. And that's how, in many ways, he's been seen by the Egyptian people. And everything he says all of a sudden becomes law. Everything that he says or he wills just all of a sudden alters everyone's lifestyle. And it's just crazy to think that the one man has that much power over a a people and so they have this one superpower military he, he no one can even battle him he's so powerful and there's this one side where he is king he is the one that everyone looks to and on the other side we have this guy who came out of nowhere named Moses who's speaking about a god and, and, and his representative, uh, Moses, doesn't seem all that impressive, to be honest. I mean, he kind of has a checkered past. He's abandoned his people. He's wanted for murder. And um, the reality is he's not the best at giving motivational speeches. Uh, and so uh, there's these two kind of facing off against each other. One, a known power, and one, almost an unknown power. And what's crazy is that it seems that this unknown power, this God that Moses keeps speaking about, keeps bringing Pharaoh to his knees. He keeps being able to uh, come to task with Moses, or with uh, Pharaoh. And it's amazing to see how time and time, even though Pharaoh is trying to resist him, even though he is trying to uh, do everything that he can to overpower Moses, he keeps being brought to his knees he keeps failing and what's amazing is uh in true bad guy form uh after he kind of releases his power he he uh he says no you know forget it just go the israelite people go and worship your god in the desert then uh all of a sudden he traces them and says no i'm going to grab power one last time and he tries to trap them at the red sea and then God does something unheard of. He stops the sea, splits it in half, and allows the Israelites to cross over on dry land. And for whatever reason, Pharaoh thought that he, God would allow him to do the same. And God releases his blessing. He lets nature take its course, and the sea sweeps him away. And now they're here at the bottom of a mountain. And they look up and they see the thunderous clouds and they hear the mighty power of God and his authority at the top of this mountain. And then Moses comes down from the mountain for the second time and delivers this new instruction to them and that's how they would have been able to see the 10 commandments this would have been revolutionary to them this would have not just been a list of 10 things that they already knew to do this was going to be countercultural to everything that they knew and had experienced in egypt it would have rocked their world in a massive way and so right now we're going to be diving into exodus uh, and and when we do so i want you to just listen uh, the words will be on the screen and and I want you to listen as if you were hearing it for the first time. And not only that, not, not just hearing it as a list of rules that you have to follow or anything like that, but it would be a list of freedoms that God was now giving you in a whole new way. So here is God's word from Exodus. Exodus 20, verse 2 through 17. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in the heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children for the sins of their parents for the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands of generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals or any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blesses the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Each of these commandments would have been countercultural to what their experience was in Egypt. And each of them would have almost seemed impossible to imagine a whole community of people believing that this was what they should live like. And you have to imagine that with their experience in Egypt, to hear the words that you will have one God instead of many gods. Remember, in Egypt, they had a God for all kinds of things, and each one needed its own appeasement to have this idea for the fact that we are going to have one God, and he is in charge of everything. He is all-powerful. He does not share his power. He's not at battle with other gods. There is one God. That would have been mind-blowing. And not only that, to think of a day of rest. Remember, these are slaves. Their whole life, they've never had any kind of rest. And for the, there's the simple fact that one time they were trying to ask for hay to make bricks and they were just trying to get the tools that they needed to be able to, to, make the, to do their job. And, and instead Pharaoh said, no, just work twice as hard, do the impossible and make these bricks with just mud. And, and that's what they were required to do. And for a God to then look at them and say, you are going to have six days to work and then you're going to have a day of rest would have been mind-blowing. What does that even mean? You only get that if you are near death uh, back when they were in Egypt. Now, and what does it mean to keep something holy? This would have been a new idea to them, a new idea of thinking that, through that. And when God says, you shall not murder, does that mean that he thinks that their lives are valuable? Because all through Egypt, they were totally uh, expendable. They could have been killed and no one would have thought much of killing an Israelite. But now they're saying that their life has value. To, what would it look like to live in a community where you weren't supposed to lie just to get ahead and, and all of these things. They, they would have been understanding that this was a new freedom given to them and an understanding that this was also something that Eddie could count on the rest of the community to also live like. Man, how amazing. But the truth is, is, this was also completely different than anything that they had experienced before. And they were so immersed in a lifestyle that was against God that it took them thousands of years before he could really start to pull back the curtain on what the true kingdom of God would look like. It would take thousands of years of God coming into their history, uh, sending his messengers, sending his prophets to be able to interact with these people and tell them, no, this is not what you were meant for. Stop living in sin and start to understand what my kingdom is really about. There's so much more that I want to give you, but you're not ready for it. And for thousands of years, they struggled. And the reality is is that... uh, it wouldn't be till many years later when we find Jesus who was able to finally pull back the curtain just way more for us to understand even more about the kingdom of God. And what's interesting too is uh, Jesus' life his, his ark, his story it, it resembles so much of what the Israelites went through. Uh, it, Jesus is born under an authority who wants to kill him you know it wasn 't Pharaoh, it was this king named Herod, and he wants to challenges, he wants to challenge god 's authority and And Jesus has to uh, strangely escape to Egypt to find safety. And then in Matthew 2.15, we see that he is drawn out of Egypt uh, to be able to uh, return to the promised land. And what 's interesting is the Israelites they had to cross through the water and it to, to enter god 's covenantal promise, his covenantal relationship with them uh, and and in that same way, Jesus himself is also baptized as symbolizing the covenant that he already had, the relationship he already had with the Father and and the Israelites walk for forty years through the desert and wilderness, and Jesus walks for forty days fasting and praying. Uh, through the wilderness to prepare for the ministry that was ahead of him. And now uh, we arrive to Jesus coming back to the promised land out of the wilderness. And uh, he's done some ministry along the way, but Matthew kind of gives us the first glimpse of what kind of teacher Jesus is going to be, his first real sermon that he's going to give in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And so uh, we're going to be looking at that uh, here in a minute, uh, Matthew 5. And I want to invite you as we dive through this, uh, we're going to be diving into uh, what Jesus is saying on his Sermon on the Mount. And when when we jump into it, I want us to also understand that Jesus and Moses are kind of playing a similar role here. Jesus is uh, speaking on a mountain. Moses was speaking on a mountain. But both of them are trying to accomplish the same goal. They're both trying to help the hearers of their message get a grasp at what the kingdom of God is truly like. That it's far beyond anything that they've experienced so far. And there's so much more for them to grab a hold of. And so if you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew uh, 5, starting at verse 2, and this is what Jesus says. He says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit, for their kingdom uh, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they will see God." Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is the reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, first thing that we should take notice of is the fact that here we see Jesus sharing a blessing. They, these are called the, the Beatitudes, also known as the blessings. And what's interesting is Jesus is, is sharing a blessing, and that would have been common, but he's in a way blessing the wrong people. See, these are not the kind of people that we or the original hearers would have been thinking, oh, this is who God wants to bless. Those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourning, those who are meek. These are, these are the wrong people. So what is Jesus really saying here? Well, what is, why is he focusing on them so much? And the reality is, is that God is, in a way, taking those people who have been pushed to the outside of society, those who have been outcasted, the marginalized in a way, and and saying, I see you. I'm here for you. Uh, There's a blessing for you. There's a place in heaven in my kingdom for you. Because much of the society at that time, and let's be honest, in our society today as well, uh, it, it almost seems like we can see the blessings of God in those people's lives who are working hard, or are being successful, and we look at those people and we say, man, God is blessing this person. But this person who's struggling, who's mourning, who's going through this hardship, man, God, we need your blessing on them. But yet Jesus flips that on his head and he says, no, those people are blessed. And so the question becomes, are we supposed to be those kind of people? Are we supposed to always be in a state of mourning? Are we supposed to be meek? Are we supposed to over be, uh, overcome with grief and, and always feel poor at spirit? And the reality is, no, that's not the point of what Jesus is saying here. Uh, in fact, I want to turn to N.T. Wright, who puts it well, when he says the point is not to offer a list of, sort of the sort of people that God normally blesses. The point is to announce God's new covenant. See, society has always pushed these people to the margins of society. They they have always pushed them outside of their normal community. And so it's kind of like they've never really felt like God had a place for them. They've never really felt like there was a place in society for them. And so God must not care about him, him. You know, these are God's people. So if I'm not being connected to this community, then I guess I'm not connected with God. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm blessing you there's a blessing for you. Those who have been overlooked your whole life, those who are poor in spirit, where you just feel like you have nothing left to give, you will find strength there. Those of you who are mourning for loss, you will find comfort. Those of you who thirst for righteousness because unjust uh, has just been what your life has been about, Uh, there's been nothing but hurt and heartache by society, Uh, there, there will be justice for you. And Jesus is flipping everything on its head. And what's amazing about this is that Jesus isn't saying, this is how we ought to act and how we should live. He's simply just saying that the blessing is extending beyond what they normally expect. That there's so much more of God's heaven or God's kingdom for everybody. Jesus is saying, I see you here and making a new covenant with each of you. Where you have found hurt, you will find healing. Where you find, uh, when you find hurt, when, you, when, you find, uh, sin, when you've been sinned against, you will find justice. When you have been overlooked by society, Jesus is saying there's a place at his table. But the question then also becomes, okay, I hear that. There's a blessing, but when is that blessing really coming? I mean, is that something that'll just happen at the end of times when when God makes the new heaven and earth? And that's a really good thing because I think some of us will hear some of these things and we're like, yes, one day we will be blessed. One day it'll all be made right. And I think that we get a glimpse of what Jesus is truly trying to get at here in just a bit. And we'll focus more on this later on. But Matthew 6.10 says, and Jesus is, as he's uh, sharing how to pray, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's not saying one day you will live in this way. He's saying, no, I want you to start to understand that heaven and earth are starting, like Russ was saying uh, last week, are being knitted back together. And that's what Jesus came to do. Again, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fault back to N.T. Wright, who, again, uh, just says it so much better than I can. He's, and I'm just going to read this to you. He says, The life of heaven means the life of the realm where God is already king is to become the life of the wor- world, transforming the present earth into the place of beauty and delight that God always intended. And those who follow Jesus are to begin to live by this rule here and now. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount, and the Beatitudes in particular. They are a summons to live in the presence. Uh, they are the summons to live in the present in the way that will make sense in God's future promise, or God's promised future, more so, because the future has arrived in the presence of Jesus of Nazareth. It may be upside down, but we are called to believe with great daring that this is, in fact, the right way up. What N.T. Wright is saying there is the idea that one day God will reign in this way. When we understand heaven, we understand that is where God reigns. And when we understand that Jesus came to earth, it's saying that Jesus is now making his kingdom on all of earth, in every place of the earth. There is no place that is now for, he- for uh, Satan that all of these places are for God now. And so in that same way, when it comes to our hearts and our lives, we can understand that Jesus is blessing for us today and tomorrow. That we are supposed to live in the understanding that Jesus' kingdom is here now today, not just tomorrow. We understand that God's blessing is for us to uh, to live into today just as much as we will in heaven. Jesus is pulling back the curtain for how the kingdom of God really will work. Jesus helps the Israelites and us to understand that uh, this kingdom that uh, he's talking about is completely countercultural to what the world naturally wants to work like. Uh, it, it flips everything on its head. And we have to understand that each of us has to choose each day which kingdom we're going to live in. Are we going to live in the reality of the sin and the hurt that we've grown up to know? Or are we going to understand and live into the kingdom of God where he provides so much blessing and help and and, and comfort and where Jesus is king over our lives? But it's, as much as we would love for it to be just a one-time prayer and a one-time thing, and then everything's fixed and everything's good to go, we understand that this is a process. It's a daily thing that we have to walk through. Because the reality is, is we are all struggling with an addiction to sin. We're all addicts of sin. And when we start to understand that we are all recovering from an addict, in that way, we start to understand that uh, we need to be very cautious in the way that we approach life. You know, uh, as you uh, talk to anyone who's uh, dealt with any kind of substance abuse, you can understand that it's something that they don't just put off and, and not think about. They have to make conscious decisions not to go back to their addiction, not to go back to where they've struggled with. And they're having to uh, constantly think about the fact that they're choosing something better. And in that same way, when it comes to our addiction to sin, we need to treat it that same way. With that same intentionality that we are not going to return to what we had before. That we are not going to continue to live a life of hurt and heartache and sin we are choosing to follow God, but I want to make that clear that this is not something that we necessarily, uh, that we have to do works to be able to be saved, and I think that's the, the thing that we always struggle with, is to understand that the gift of freedom is truly a gift. God, Jesus, did all the work. He, he made the way for us to be free of sin, but we are struggling with the ability to live into that freedom that he's given us. We still struggle. Almost like when I was thinking about this, I was thinking of a kid who comes out of an abusive family home, who struggles with the ability to receive the love of his new family. You know, there's a lot of years that are going to take for that kid to be able to be open to the idea that uh, he's been hurt or she's been hurt in those certain ways. There's going to be a lot of uh, love that needs to be poured out by the new family as this kid uh, starts to understand that some of their thinking is going to be naturally wrong and and just to understand truly what love is is going to take a lot of work and time and intentionality by the 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 family and then we see that exact same example with Jesus and God the Father. I mean, He, he comes and He rescues us from the, our, our heritage of sin, and He takes us away, and He says, I will adopt you as my son and daughters, and, and you, you will become my family here on earth, and I want to bless you with more of me. And, and not only that, I'm going to correct you constantly and remind you how much I love you. And no, that is not what you were meant to live like that is not what you were created for i have so much in store for you just let those things go and it'll take time and he is patient with us he does not rush us he's not rolling his eyes at us when we mess up again he's saying it's okay i love you now choose me choose the freedom that i am offering you and that's what god is like that's the joy that's the good news of jesus christ one thing that we should understand uh, is that from Moses to uh, Jesus here on the Sermon on the Mount, God has been orchestrating this plan to bring us back from our addiction of sin. And he says that in his word, uh, Matthew five seventeen and 20, where he says, uh, Do not think uh, that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have, come, uh, I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will uh, by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others uh, others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, That unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is pointing out here that from uh, the mountainside with Moses to, to him on the mountainside here, that everything has been pointing to one direction to get us back to the place where we would have a great relationship with God, where we would have a personal relationship with God. Each step has been walking us closer to that fact. And the, the amazing thing, as we celebrated last week, is that Jesus truly is the one who accomplishes this task. He's the one that allows and makes the way for us to follow. And, and he's the one who uh, really pays the cost for us to be adopted into his family. He didn't allow us to just wither away and to to be uh, just go off and continue to sin and to be abused and and all of these things. No, he he dives into history and rescues us and pays the cost through the cross. And the amazing thing is, he didn't stay dead. He's still alive and well today. He's seated in heaven and he is doing good work through his people now. And then what? What's amazing is that he chooses to do this good work, not because, let's be honest, that we're the best at it, but because he wants to do something so much more inside of our hearts. So from the Ten Commandments to the Sermon on the Mount, it's a process of working through our hearts and where we're at. So one thing I want to challenge us, because over the course of the next seven weeks, we're going to be looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And I want to challenge you that as we look through this, we're going to be diving in with uh, what Jesus has said and what he is saying in these processes uh, or in these, uh, this series. And really kind of comparing it to what our culture says we should be like today. And I got to be honest, what we're going to talk about, Jesus is going to be a bit countercultural because the kingdom of God is its own thing. It is a kingdom that is not of this world. It is coming down and it is challenging the, our society and saying this is how the world is supposed to look. And so don't be surprised that when when you uh, are listening that if there's going to be certain things that are going to rub you the wrong way because you're going to be like, what do you mean? Is that really what Jesus said? Is that really what he's after? And the answer is... Well, what he's after actually is your heart. So he's not just asking you to follow these things for no reason. He's going to challenge your heart in new ways, and he's gonna, he wants to expose where you're kind of trying to hide in a way, those places where you're not sure you want Jesus to get into yet. That's where he wants to go. And so we're going to cover uh, subjects like identity, worship, authority, uh, hate, revenge, forgiveness, sex and marriage, money, and diversity. And just even as I read that list, I, I wonder which of those things maybe makes your heart thump a little bit. Like, or I don't know if I'll catch the stream on that week. And I want to invite you to just allow God to do his good work, that you could experience a new freedom in that area of your life. Because that's what, from the Ten Commandments to the Sermon on the Mount to everything else that we find in the ba- the Bible, is the fact that God is constantly just giving freedom to his people to live in a new and amazing way. So I want to invite you that uh, as we dive into this, that you would uh, just take some time to uh, really check where your heart is on some of these matters because that's what he's after. And I want to also offer that we will be uh, still doing the study guides um, just in a different way. Instead of diving through uh, two chapters of the gospel, we're really going to be taking some time to just focus in on certain parts of the gospel and also uh, really kind of take some time to reflect on where we're at with God on some of these issues. Um, So you can go to Sunrise website, and you'll be able to download those uh, here in just a bit. And I want to invite you, as you take some time, you'll notice right off the bat, there's only like five or six questions that it's a bit different. So take some time not just to run through them, but really pray and, and offer, God, where am I at with you on this? What kind of things can I, can I really, uh, what do you want to explore in my heart, God? I want to open myself up to you. And these are really not just like study guides as much as there are kind of spiritual formations for us to be uh, walking through uh, and allowing God to really just dive in deep in some of those places where we don't always want to go. You know, one of my uh, favorite Bible verses, my youth group knows this, uh, I even named one of the youth groups on this, uh, is uh, Romans 12.2. It says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Over the next seven weeks, I look forward to how God is going to be transforming our hearts as he sanctifies us, as he works within our hearts to help us to understand even more his good, his pleasing, and perfect will for our lives. And be able to be set free in a new way, and, and, and experience His freedom and His kingdom in a brand new way. So I want to offer a prayer as we right before we jump into some more worship. God, I thank you so much just for uh, who You are. That when you when you declare something for us to be to do or anything like that, you are declaring a freedom for us to to live into. And God, I pray that as we uh, look for. Uh, forward to what you're going to do in this new series, that you would help us to just grab a hold of the heart of the issues. Because that's what you're after. You're not after just people doing what you're told, they're told to do, but you're, you're after people's hearts and minds. And so God, I, I just offer you uh, each of our hearts uh, before you, God, that you would expose those places that we've maybe hidden away those fears that we have, those places that we, we, where we want to just have some control over, those addictions maybe to certain past heritage that has been uh, given to us. God, I just pray that you would help us to hand those things over to you and say, I'm a little afraid, God, that you're going to do something I don't like, but I want to experience your freedom in a brand new and perfect way. And so, God, I thank you so much that you love us enough to not leave us where we're at, and that you have given us your perfect word in the Bible. Jesus, continue to do your good work in our lives. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're doing good work here today. In your name we pray. Amen.